All right, you may be seated. Wonderful. Thank you, guys. Uh, David, come on up, and Jeremy will join us. Jeremy, we got your water bottle if you need one after. Oh, he got more than a water bottle. Well, you must know somebody. All right. If you're new here, we do a roundtable a couple of times a year, and uh, uh, the calendar fell perfectly for us on this holiday weekend to be able to do a, a roundtable where we just... Uh, uh, want to discuss a few things with you. Think of this like a not sermon. Uh, think of this like a, a family conversation. Uh, usually when we do a round table, we'll put a phone number up where you can live text questions. This morning's conversation will be a little different. We won't live text questions, but we both have part uh, public service announcement and part a little bit of the- theology we want to talk with you. So um, let's do the public service announcement first, okay? So uh, we're thinking about Easter, and we're already planning for Easter, and we've recruited many of you to serve on some different uh, planning teams getting ready for the Easter uh, season that's upcoming. And you're like, that's forever away. Hadn't even thought about that yet, but it's not very far away, and we have to be way ahead of the curve on planning for this. And, you know, we may cycle back to this for a few times in our conversation, but there are two times a year where uh, in an America where people are offended at everything, there's two times a year where people really aren't offended if you want to talk religion with them. Uh, you know, and, or at least they don't have the footing to yeah, that's right. all they want. But, you know. Yeah, it's just not really a thing. So Christmas and Easter, everybody's pretty open to a conversation, an invitation, some engagement around the gospel, uh, Christ, the cross, church, something. Uh, they're definitely not offended if you engage them uh, on that level. And uh, so we've, we've built a, an interactive Easter experience that's going to happen during the Easter, Easter season. I'm looking at you because I'm going to let you explain what it is maybe sure. clearer than I can yeah. explain what it is. Yeah, so uh, if you've been here longer than five years, uh, you maybe remember that we've done something very similar to this in the past. In the past, we've, we've built it as something a little bit different. We really stressed that uh, it ends in like a Lord's Supper, communion time, and we, we really focused on that. This year, we're trying to be a little bit more purposeful and intentional in engaging our community. So by that, we want to make sure that we're branding this in a way um, that allows you the opportunity to invite your people without yeah. freaking them out a little bit. Yeah, the old, the old one we did was very internal. Yeah. It was very for the church. This one is very... It's for, it's for the church and not the for church. For the non-church. Yeah. Yeah, for the non-church. Yeah, yeah so, so I want you to picture what this is. Uh, what, what's going to happen is people will come in, you'll go around the back, uh, and over in this um, open field, there's going to be a big, think, circus tent. It's going to be 100 feet wide, uh, or I guess long, 100 feet long, 40 feet wide. And inside of that, there's going to be 12 different stations. And each of these stations are elements of the last days of Christ, those things that are lead up to the crucifixion and resurrection. So what I mean by that is you're going to walk down the triumphal entry and hear the, hear the crowds cheering as they proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. You're going to walk in. You're going to um, see, see a Passover meal. You'll sit down at the Passover table and, uh, and break bread with your family. You're going to go in. You'll see the woodworking shop where, where that was very similar to how, how they built the cross that Jesus would, would die on. You'll see uh, all, all these different elements in different various stations um, that will really just illuminate and help you understand to a much deeper and more personal extent exactly what those final days of Jesus looked like. 
This is the kind of thing that is a, what we're calling a multi-sensory event. And so we want you to see things, we want you to hear things, smell them, taste them, and, and enjoy the time together with your family. So that way then when it's all said and done, you feel like the, the, the story of the cross is no longer just uh, an intellectual thing that you've read, but really an event that you've experienced. Uh, then when that's finished, you're going to come back in here um, and, and close with family communion. So you'll come up with just your family or with just your group um, if you don't have your family with you. And you'll participate in, in a very small uh, communion group. Ten-person communion. Ten-person <laughs> communion. And it'll be really intimate and really special. It, anyway, we'll talk more about that later. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's, you know, 500-something of us. Plus, the public is being invited to this. Your neighbors, your unchurched family, friends, co-workers are being invited. Uh, we minus the kids out of our numbers. And we're trying to strategically figure out how we can get everyone through. Uh, it probably takes an hour start to finish. Uh, it's not a church service. It's not a sermon. It's an interactive experience, very different than a sermon. Um, we've organized it to happen on Good Friday. Well, yeah, and the reason for this, too, is because we're trying to maximize the effects that you can have on your community, right? Uh, there's, like Pastor said a minute ago, there's only a few windows where people are receptive to hearing anything about the good news of Jesus Christ without feeling immediately defensive. There's a really great opportunity for you to maximize the moment and bring them in in a very non-threatening way. Yeah, non-threatening, non-sermony, non-intimidating you know, it's 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 a it's a it's very intimate. That's probably the right, right word. It's yeah. a very intimate experience, and uh, we've scheduled this event to go Good Friday. Let's talk about Good Friday for a minute. You grew up in the South, most of you, but increasingly now, I, even in our own congregation, I met many people this morning already that are from New York and Michigan and and parts beyond. Southerners refer to you as Yankees, and we welcome you. Uh, there was a time when you weren't welcome, but we welcome you now uh, with open arms. We have lots of people from California coming our way, and uh, we all know why. Nobody wants to pay state income tax. Everybody wants to carry a gun, buy a 3,000-square-foot house that costs less than $400,000. And there's many reasons to come to Texas. Uh, and, uh, uh, well, maybe you don't think so. I'm very loyal, and uh, you seem not so enthusiastic about being in Texas, but... Uh, Everybody wants to be here, and they're coming by the thousands. Now, for those of you who are native sons and daughters, that means you need to be thinking about what the implications of that are for you. If you grew up in the South, you didn't experience Good Friday service. South is predominantly evangelical, uh, uh, evangelical Methodist, maybe some evangelical Lutheran, but predominantly Bible Church, Baptist, kind of dominates the South, Pentecostal, and... They don't typically do Good Friday, uh, and there's many reasons for that. One is to distance themselves from the Catholic uh, Church of Europe, and uh, maybe as a reaction to that, Baptist typically in Evangelicals Bible Church didn't do Good Friday service. Uh, but things are changing with the influx of people from all over America moving into your neighborhood now. Let me give you another reason. We have a massive migration over our southern border right now. And the people that are coming over our southern border from Nicaragua, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Salvador, and Mexico, they are predominantly Roman Catholic. It's time, I think, for our church to re-engage with a Good Friday something. Does that make sense? 
If you want to reach this segment of people, Good Friday becomes like that candlelight service, an opportunity to engage a group of people that you couldn't engage otherwise because if you grew up Catholic or, you, or maybe non you're just a little more receptive to that Good Friday service. You know, that's something that's not normal. And I may not, if I come Sunday, they might expect me to come every Sunday. But if I come on Good Friday, they understand that's only a one-off, sure. one you know. And so, anyway, it's less intimidating. So, we've scheduled this for Good Friday. It'll happen from 6 to 9 o'clock on Good Friday night. Now, the problem is there's too many of us, especially if we invite unchurched people we know. So, we'll have to go Saturday night as well. So, we're going to go 6 to 9 Friday night, 6 to 9 Saturday night. That's sending groups every five minutes launching. Groups of... Probably 10 would be the biggest that could go. But if we send a 10-quantity group every five minutes, we can only get 54 slots over two nights. So that means, really, we only have about 54 time slots we're going to open for this. But it's 540 people, at least, will be able to go through this. And uh, so we've scheduled Friday night. Saturday morning then, Erica McAdoo, Erica McNair, those who run our children's ministries, Saturday morning have a massive Easter egg hunt for all different ages. Uh, Bounce houses, I mean like a carnival atmosphere Saturday morning right here. Saturday night we come back and do interactive Easter experience again, 6 to 9. And then on Sunday morning, Easter, two times, 9.30 and 11 o'clock Sunday morning, isn't this wild that we're talking about Easter? So we just what I'm Christmas. saying is if you get to Sunday morning Easter and you're not a little bit tired, yeah. then you weren't very involved on, on Friday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday getting ready for all the things that we're doing. So one, we're, we're encouraging you to get involved. Yeah. And the way you would do that, the easiest way, Rachel, are you in the room right now? Are you out? Over there. Having, there's Rachel back there. I'll just say, keep your hand right there a minute. If you don't know Rachel, it's David's wife. Rachel's really helping us organize the heavy lifting of this. See Rachel. Okay, see Rachel if you want to get involved. Many of you we've already recruited and you've already got responsibilities going into the weekend. If you don't have responsibility, see Rachel. At least let her get your name and she'll, she'll find you a great place to serve uh, on this weekend. Uh, it may be that you need to reserve your slot like on a Friday but come serve on a Saturday. I'm not going to poke you. And... Uh, or vice versa, kind of a 10-1, serve one kind of situation. So um, let's talk about why, well, really the message that we're going to, to send to the community and the why behind, uh, the why behind why we're doing this. Um, let's suppose for a minute, let's just play a little game. Let's suppose for a minute that we are those unchurched people. Let's suppose that we are the migrant coming from the south or the north or uh, the west, and we've landed in Texas, and they're our coworker or they're our neighbor, and we get, they get invited and they come with us. Uh, what message are we trying to communicate to them on this Easter weekend? That's something we really need to think about and talk about as a church family. As a matter of fact, if you're not a Christian, if you're a non-Christian uh, or you're a Christian in name only, we call that a nominal Christian, you may not understand really what the heart of Christianity is all about. And if you were trying to discover what Christianity is about, maybe you were raised Buddhist or, or Hindu or, or, or Muslim or something, or just agnostic or atheist, and you were trying to engage with Christians to discover what it was about, let's role play that for a minute. 
Uh, all of our roots come from Europe, so let's, let's do it from a European context. You would go to one of the great cathedrals of Europe, church, basilica, something like that, and you would go into one of those uh, uh, St. Peter's in New York, St. Patrick's uh, in, what's the Anglican, St. Paul's in London. Let's do St. Paul's. You go into St. Paul, here it is, St. Paul's in London. You go into St. Paul's. You don't know what Christianity is about, but you're trying to figure it out. So as you're walking up, you see this massive building and one architectural feature that you notice on the building at the very tip top would be a the cross. You walk into the building. You're trying to figure out what Christianity is about. You walk into the building. It doesn't look like other buildings inside. Matter of fact, it doesn't even look like an evangelical church from the south. Our churches are wide but not terribly deep. Uh, one of the cathedrals of Europe would be deep and not terribly wide. And it's long and skinny, and as you look at it, you notice there's nave and there's transepts, which means when you looked at it from an overhead view, when you understand the architecture of the building, it's in the shape of a... A cross, yeah. Yeah, very good. And, uh, so, and, and such is, are the cathedrals of our motherland. Wherever your motherland is, that's what they look like. They're in the shape of a cross. So you attend the service, and when the service starts, there's a, profession, a processional... And they're not carrying the American flag. They're not going to say the flag we're in Europe. Instead, somebody's got a staff, and on the top of the staff is, yeah, cross. And they're wearing miters, and they have adornments on their religious robes, and the adornment that's going to be on their robes is a, yeah, now you're getting the flow of it. Keep, keep talking to me. And so the service starts, and they, somewhere in the service, near the end, probably offer communion. And as they're offering communion, you can see people making the sign of, yeah, and so uh, the, in the service, he's talking about the death of our Christ and the meaning of the communion. His body was broken, and this is my blood. And talking about the death on the on the cross. You notice the stained glass windows. There's the cross. You notice up in the front of the church, it's Catholic church. There used to be a crucifix, Christ on the cross. If it's a non-Catholic church, many times it's just the cross is very prominent near the altar altarpiece area or at the end the, the altarpiece is at the end of the, the cross beam if you would of the architecture oh maybe you stay after the service and some young couples come in to baptize their baby and so uh, the priest or the bishop if it's uh, Anglican, St. Paul's Anglican they baptize the baby and he'll make on the baby pour, make the sign of the cross on the forehead of the child you're very curious about this Church is over, you wander downstairs to the basement, they call it the crypt, because in the motherland all of our famous people are buried underneath churches, and, and uh, like in St. Paul's, I can't remember who's under there, but they're, Lord Nelson is one of them, famous generals, famous politicians are buried beneath the, the church, and on all their tombs you'll see engraved. Now, if you didn't know what Christianity was about, and you tried to engage with it, the one thing you would become quickly aware of is whatever Christianity is about, it has something to do with the cross. At the center of Christianity, there seems to be this ever-present, ubiquitous cross in their ceremonies, their architecture, their, their dress code, their graves. Cross, cross, cross is everywhere. Now, you're probably scratching your head saying, yeah, I don't see it, Pastor. Yeah, because you grew up in the South in America. Not South America, but South in the United States of America, 
where the evangelicals wanted to so distance themselves from the Catholic Church that we removed all symbology, all symbology from our uh, houses of worship and uh, uh, pulled out the stained glass. All, we just want to... It's an overreaction. Uh, this is something we've talked about a lot, and the more we study, it's a, it's a gross overreaction. And one of the things I just caution you about is, as we understand more and more about what we believe and you grow in your own faith, uh, we want to make sure that we're not doing some things strictly because we want to overreact to some people who we might not agree with. Does that make sense? Uh, uh, no Baptist or not Bible church or non-denominational or, or Pentecostal, would, you'd never see them crossing themselves. And you would see that as pure superstition, um, uh, you know, just a, anyway, you would see it as silly. Would you be shocked to know that Christians crossed themselves prior to the Catholic Church? And we just way went in another direction. Tertullian, uh, the North African theologian, writing around 200. Uh, uh, Hippolytus, uh, theologian, writing in 215. His work was called The Apostolic Tradition. Uh, Cyprian, 250, writing... And they're, especially Hippolytus at 2.15, when he wrote the Apostolic Tradition, he's looking backward to the 100s. John the Apostle didn't die till 100. He's looking back to the 100s in his book. And uh, Hippolytus is saying, uh, those who follow Christ are constantly sealing their forehead in temptation with the cross. And so... While we don't do that, and it's not our custom and tradition, uh, I think we got away from that largely because it then flowed into the Catholic Church, that practice, and then now in the new world, we wanted to distance ourselves from the Catholic Church and be something different, so we said that's a Catholic thing. It actually predates a Catholic thing. And, and while that's true, I'm wearing a cross right now. Who else is wearing like some Anybody kind of jewelry? Anybody have cross jewelry on this morning of any kind? I see in the back, in the back, yeah. I see several. Earrings, necklace, ring. Or who owns a cross something? How about your house? Who in their house has a cross wall? The cross wall with like 50 <laughs> crosses on it. Sure. You know what you're talking about. Superstitious yeah. freaks you are. Yeah. <laughs> so so even, even while there has been quite a reaction maybe in our places of worship, you guys in general, especially if you come from a Christian heritage or are a Christian yourself, then you have some sort of symbol on your body or in your house that, that distinguishes what you believe. And I think this is just kind of like ubiquitous everywhere. Every, every religion, um, even, even logos, even um, uh, like identifiers for companies, when you see those things, you brands, automatically... Trademarks. Brands, yes. You automatically, your mind goes directly to what that thing is about, what they're selling, um, or And how, what how they you identify. feel about it. Yeah. You, you have know. an emotional response to yes. a trademark. Right. A symbol. Right. So let's do this. I've got... I've loaded up several logos. I want you guys just to yell at me. Tell me what these are, okay? What company? Okay, it was like this with the first service, too. Very fast. It was too fast. <laughs> like, I, I'm very in support of Amazon, I promise, but you guys need to calm down. Let's, let's get to the next one. Okay, keep, keep it coming.
Coco Chanel. <laughs> There's yeah. kind of a question mark on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Chanel. Yeah. Okay, keep, keep oui, going. Oui. <laughs> oh, with joy over there. Pizza. <laughs> Yeah. So, so I mean, ones. honestly, e even just from the reactions there, you say John Deere, and it was like 65% increase in male participation. And then we did Target, and then like a solid 80% increase <laughs> in female <laughs> participation, right? Because you all identify with these things in different ways. You see, you see what you recognize, it immediately stirs some kind of reaction within you, um, whether you like the place, whether you don't, whether you're familiar or not, uh, whether you have some kind of history, it doesn't matter, um, because just seeing the symbol is all you need to elicit some sort of reaction. And it can even be an emotional. Right. You can feel something about a brand. Well, Jesse Guy was happier about Instagram than my children were about Christmas. Okay. <laughs> so there you go. Yeah. Oh, uh, okay. Well, Zoe, even yeah, so. Yeah. Well, the Houstons and John Deere. It's the same yeah, thing. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah, ready for that. So what I want to say is symbols are not bad. And I'm, I'm shocked, actually. The more I think about it, the more I study it that we as evangelicals have come so far away from symbology that we, we just don't have any symbols at all. Because truly every religion, not mm -hmm. company now, yeah. every religion has its symbols. You know, play, play the same game, but let's do the religious side of it, okay? So tell us what religion it is. You ready? Islam. You're a little less sure. Does anybody truly know what this is? If, if a question mark had a sound, that's what I just <laughs> said. This is Buddhism. If you travel to uh, Nepal or further east, far east, this will be everywhere. It'll be, it'll be painted on the outside of the uh, house of worship. It'll be everywhere. Those eyes and that Upside down question mark nose takes a few different shapes, varieties, and uh, you'll, but you'll see that everywhere. That's Buddhism. Anybody know what this is? This is Hinduism. How about this? First service said the same thing, Nazism. It was a trick question. <laughs> Nazism, but actually this is not Nazism. Uh, Adolf Hitler got this from India. This is Hinduism, and the swastika is a Hindu symbol of their gods of power and might, and this is where he got this symbol. Uh, but again, let me just talk about emotional response. When you see this symbol, you living here in the West, who have grandfathers and great-grandfathers who fought in world wars to defeat fascism and Nazism, you have a very emotional response to this symbol, don't you? It's more than I recognize a brand. It's like evil is kind of your, you know, you, you put up a wall when you see this symbol. As, and I'm saying that's what, because we associate it with the most recent thing in our, in our history that touched us, which was Nazism. And it's really a Hindu symbol. It's a religious symbol borrowed by the Nazis. Keep going. Christianity. Here is the symbol of Christianity. The question we want to ask ourselves is, why is the cross the symbol of Christianity? In the same way you might say, why is a swastika a symbol of Hinduism? Why is the cross 
Christians ought to be able to say, here's why a cross is the symbol of Christianity. Let me just say this. Of all the symbols you saw on the screen, even, even more famous than Nike or the golden arches or the apple, the most recognizable symbol on planet Earth for branding is the cross. The cross would be recognizable literally everywhere as, oh, that's Christianity. Even by people who don't know what it means, they know it's connected as the symbol of Christianity. Why is the cross the symbol of Christianity? Anybody want to take a stab at that? Why, why the cross? What is the meaning of the cross? Mm. <laughs> These are really good questions. Well, because there could have been other things. Yeah, easily. You know, we could okay, have... play that game a minute. What could have been the symbol of Christianity? Uh, a, a piece of bread and a cup of wine. I think that about like baptism waters to show new life. A dove. A dove. Yeah. A, a star for, for Bethlehem. A stone. Yeah. Yeah, like a stone. A big round stone rolled yeah. over the tomb. Yeah, an olive branch. Yeah, a towel, a basin, servant leadership, washing feet. Uh, a fish. Okay, now a fish was. And all of the, many of the symbols you mentioned were symbols of early Christianity. You get way back there and look in the first century. Now let's, let's contextualize first century Christianity. They're being hunted. They're being killed. They're being thrown to lions. Their children are being strangled. And they tie a rope around your child and hang your child, your dead child, around your neck. So you can wear your dead baby. And then they nail you to a cross where it takes days to die while your child, dead child, I mean, this is crucifixion. This is the cross. And these people are being hunted for their faith, so they have to be very stealthy, very wise about how they function in society. And they would often mark buildings where they were meeting, or how, which were houses, typically, uh, with symbols that wouldn't mean anything to anyone except the people who had the inside story. So you said, like, water for baptism. But if you had put a symbol of water, it doesn't mean the anything. public wouldn't yeah. know what that meant. They might think you sell water, or it's a bathhouse, or, you know, or if they saw uh, bread and wine, they might think, well, is this a restaurant yeah. or why? They wouldn't really know there's a meeting place for Christians. And so Christians used some symbols to, to operate like this in the first century, and the fish one of them. became one of those symbols. Uh, the Greek word for fish is ichthyos. Uh, if you are studying biology in high school, they'll introduce you to ichthyology, the study of fish. Ichthyos is the Greek word. And the reason the fish became a symbol of, for early Christians is because they had made Acronym, acrostic, what's the right word? Acronym. acronym. <laughs> it made an acronym out of ichthyos. In Greek, it, mean, it stands for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Savior and Son of God, something like that. Ichthyos, where every letter in the word for fish stands for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know, uh, And so when they made the fish symbol, it was kind of like a secret code to say, Christianity happens here. We're God, we're Jesus followers, you know. So if it was such a prevalent symbol in the early church, why did the ichthus fish not stick? It didn't have staying fish stick. It didn't have a, 
they didn't like fish sticks. Yeah. Uh, they, it didn't have staying power as a symbol um, because a symbol must of necessity to, to really be, to stick, to, to really represent the, the company, the brand, the philosophy, the, the, the brand for Christianity, the symbol for Christianity must of necessity be about the main character of Christianity, which we all know is Jesus yeah. Christ. And the fish didn't have that direct connection to Jesus Christ. I mean, he wasn't a fisherman. Right. Uh, Peter and Andrew, James and John were the fishermen. And he did say, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And he did break fish and feed 5,000. But outside of those two things, the fish really isn't connected to Jesus. About what he did or what he taught. Right. Um, So a symbol that, that... that really pointed you to Jesus and told the story of Jesus had to emerge to be the symbol of Christianity. And so really that fish passed away pretty quickly in early Christian church history and the cross emerged. Now again, for a long time, Christians could, could mark that cross. Now go way back in time. Early Christianity could make that symbol and the general public knew what a cross was, but they didn't associate it with this is a house of worship for Jesus followers. Not until later. Does that make sense? Yeah, and that's why when you asked a second ago, what is the meaning of the cross, it's kind of a broad question. Well, it is the meaning of the cross. Because, so for a Christian, we have a kind of an embedded answer. Well, it's the old meaning of a cross. And so I think there's a a pre-Jesus and a post-Jesus meaning. What's the pre-Jesus meaning of the cross? The pre-Jesus meaning of the cross um, has something to do with Rome and Rome's dominance and Rome's might because That's this fair. was their tool of torture. It was their tool of, uh, of execution for those that they were trying to uh, enslave or subjugate or whatever. And so this stood as a, a, a symbol of torture, a symbol of death, a symbol of humiliation. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, they would, they would take the people, hang them up, and then post their crime on top so that everybody knew as they passed by, as they walked by. In fact, they would put crosses not just on hills out somewhere. They'd put them on hills where everyone could see or on the walkway, the streets yeah, leading up the highway, to the city. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Welcome to our community. Look at the rotting dead people yes. everywhere. And here's their crime that you get to see. It's yeah. the, ultimate, the ultimate vehicle for torture, death. It's the ultimate symbol of Rome's dominance over some people. In fact... It, to the Jews, particularly, and now this is not just for them, it's all over the, the Roman Empire, but particularly for them, we have some, some historical writings that talk about what happened. And in 4 BC, a Roman uh, general named Varus crucified, was it 2,000? 2,000 Jews in one year. Right. And, and, then, and that was when Rome initially conquered the Middle East. Varus went in and just, they, they wanted to resist Rome. Yeah. And again, to what you said, it's not just death, yeah. it's torture death. It's not just torture. There's lots of kinds of torture. It's the worst torture, death. It's not just torture. They strip you naked. They humiliate you. It's humiliation. It's not just death for you if you're being crucified. It's a message for all of us who see you be crucified. Don't jack with Rome. Yeah, because this is what happens. Don't you dare resist us. Don't you dare defy Rome because the same fate is waiting for you and your son and your daughter and your wife and your mother and your father and we'll kill your whole family and you're like, you would never. Ha! 2,000, just like that. Matter of fact, Vespasian, in 66, 30 years after Jesus, Israel did rebel against Rome in a big way. 
And when they did, Rome sent the legions in, and their best general, Vespasian, surrounded Jerusalem. Caesar, I can't remember if he died or was murdered or poisoned, it happened a lot, but Caesar's gone, and they said, who will be the next Kaiser, Caesar, king? They got Vespasian from Jerusalem and called him to Rome and crowned him Caesar. Vespasian left his son Titus in Jerusalem, and they began to crucify these revolting Jews. The history books say that Titus crucified so many thousands of Jews in the rebellion, 66 to 70, when Rome was finally leveled flat, uh, Jerusalem was leveled flat. In that four-year period, they said they had cut every tree outside of Jerusalem to the ground. There were no standing trees. You could not find a piece of wood in Jerusalem for Titus had taken every piece of available wood and nailed a Jew to it and crucified them. Can you imagine if we cut down every tree in Keller in Fort Worth and nailed a human being to it? Rome is sending a message, do not resist us. We will break you. You cannot you cannot defy us. So, well, there's the pre-Jesus meaning of the cross. It's horrific. And, and hundreds of thousands before Jesus went to a cross. True. And, and thousands afterwards. So I guess the central question is, what, what makes Jesus' cross so significant? What's, what, what makes it particular out of all these thousands of people who have been on one? Because before Jesus, if you saw a cross, you would have had the same reaction you have to that swastika. A revolting, a, you would have, you would have, it would have been repellent to you to see the symbol of the cross or a cross. So there's something about the cross of Jesus that forever changed all of our understanding about the cross. Something happened on his cross that made it different from all other crosses and really changed our whole view of the cross as a symbol in general. So what happened on Christ's cross that was so earth-shattering? Well, and we have like a really embedded, kind of really quick-to-the-tongue Christian answer, a forgiveness of sins, right? We, we have a, a relationship with God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Jeremy, could you give us like maybe a fuller, or maybe, maybe a fuller but still simple explanation of what the meaning of the cross would have meant for for us Christians as well as those back then? Right, yeah, Jews. so you have, to, you have to understand that the people... You know, in Jesus' day, many of them knew the Old Testament prophecies saying that a Messiah would come, right? So they, they've been awaiting this moment. When you, look at, when you look at the story of the Bible, the story of humanity as not just you know, Scripture to read, but as a real true story that we are currently in the middle of, uh, you can kind of split it up into different acts, right? So there's Act 1 of, of God creating the universe, setting everything to motion. And then within that very first act, you see the fall of humanity. You see uh, sin enter into the world. You see uh, humanity really falling. God set a certain standard that we were supposed to reach, but because of our sin, we're no longer able to. And that is just now ongoing throughout all the scenes leading up to where we are now even. Uh, you see people struggling to maintain and find the standard of God and failing ultimately because there's no way that we can reach that standard uh, of holiness and goodness. So throughout the Old Testament, you've got the prophets that are saying, you know, there's a Messiah who's coming because they recognize that there was a problem 
and they said there's a Messiah coming who's going to reconcile the situation. Fix he, everything. He's going to fix everything and make it to where we can now be uh, on, on a, in communion again with, with God, right? Because, of, because there's current separation. And so they, they've been prophesying about this. They've been saying, you know, ultimately we are, we are going to be restored back to God. So then when Jesus came, Jesus was not shy, and his followers were not shy about proclaiming him to be the Messiah that they had been waiting for. So much of Jewish tradition, so much of their culture and religious um, founding is all based upon the picture of our separation from God. When you really look at, at the Jewish culture and Jewish uh, religion, so much of it really is just a, a constant picture of a reminder that we are no longer in communion with God. So then when Jesus came and says, I am the Messiah who's come to reconcile you back to the Father, now it's something that they can stand up and, and notice because they've been looking out for this. So when Jesus dies, he claims to be the one who's going to defeat the ultimate separation from, from the Father. He says, I'm going to defeat death and allow you to be reconciled back to him. I'm going to restore the severed relationship back to the Father. Um, so for them, it, this was revolutionary because what they had known was now completely gone. Revolutionary is a good word because when yeah. you run around the countryside telling people that you're the king, right. when there is a king, and a bunch of people start following your movement exactly. to make you king... You're going to get killed. Yeah. I mean, so, you're so going we're, to... Whereas before, the, the symbol of the cross, no one would dare put a symbol of a cross on their door because that's just illuminating the, the torture and, yeah. and uh, the sub... Uh, I can't it had subjugation, no good... Subjugation yeah, yeah. of the Roman government. <laughs> it had no good meaning. It had no good meaning. Now, with Jesus' uh, entrance into the world and ultimately his defeat over death on the cross, they are able to reclaim that symbol as not a source of defeat, yeah. but as a sign of victory. Yeah. Right, and and so I guess, and that's that is the right answer, and that's what we think of when we think about it. I guess my question is, as I read the story, I come to the like I'm, I identify probably with the disciples a little bit. I just ask constantly, huh? What do you mean? What do you mean you're going to die? What is that? I don't understand. Yeah, three, the Messiah is supposed to be this. What do you mean? Okay, so first of all, Messiah was supposed to be. Right. Let's all agree that in the Old Testament, Messiah is supposed to be God's king. Which means he rules and reigns, takes control of the government. Overthrow. Uh, ruling and reigning. Yeah. So when God sends his king, he's going to fix everything. He's going to bring peace. He's going to make Israel prominent again. Mm -hmm. it's, it, he's going to restore and he's going to rule in righteousness. He's going to fix all of our problems. And they had no... Uh, foundation for understanding it was not in their 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 view at all that when god sent his king he would die that goes counter against everything they thought messiah would be messiah is someone who comes to take control of the government a king that will make it all right dying doesn't fit with winning well, and it's easy to look back on Scripture now, knowing that Jesus did this, looking back and seeing in the prophecies, oh, well, clearly this was talking about his death. Isaiah 53, clearly wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, and by his stripes. Clearly that's Jesus. Whereas yeah. in the moment for them, you have to give them a little bit of grace yeah. that maybe it wasn't quite so obvious in the moment. It wasn't. They, they, they knew Psalm 22, and yeah. they knew it said, they will pierce his hands, I thirst, all of those statements of the cross... 
But they, they, there was no way from their perspective. Yeah, they're looking for Daniel chapter 7 king, day of the Lord. If you guys know your Old Testament a little bit, they know day of the Lord. Someone's going to come and, and tromp his en- trample, trample his enemies Correct. as a wine press. There'll be blood all the way up on his Out on with his Rome, That's in with Israel. Yeah. So, yeah. so they can't even fathom how... So that's why when Jesus says stuff like, I have to go to Jerusalem to die, Peter says... Oh, no, you're not going to go and die. I mean, this is what we talked about last week. And Jesus like, get behind me, Satan. Yeah. You don't even, you don't even yeah. savorist the things of God, to quote <laughs> the KJV. They don't, you, you don't, you're not with God. You're not speaking for God right now. That's not my plan. I'm going to die. So three times, three discourse. I think it's Mark 8, 9, and 10, where Jesus three times tells the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem now, and I go up to die. They're like, what is he yeah. saying? I can't imagine that. No, we know you're the Son of God. We know you're the Messiah. So dying doesn't fit with the narrative of how this is going to play out. Yeah, I'm going to die. No, they just can't put that together. Again, he tells them, I go up to Jerusalem. I'll be arrested. I'll be taken by wicked men. I'll be scourged and beaten, and I will die. And they were so scared and so confused that they, the Scripture even says, they were scared to ask him about what's, what, what are you saying should we even be going with him if he's going to die? No, he's not going to die. He's the Messiah. Messiah doesn't die. He takes control of the government and reigns and brings in Israel prominence down with Rome. Everything's made right. They couldn't reconcile death on the cross with victory. Well, because, again, like you said earlier, death on the cross was a daily occurrence for the Jews. That's right. And it only meant something bad. It didn't That's mean right. we win. It meant I lost. My wife lost. My kids lost. Yep. We all lost. Rome won. Rome. We all, Rome won, and we all, we all lost. So when Jesus goes to the cross, what, what are the disciples' reaction? Run and hide. You remember the garden? Scattered. Uh, at the cross, we know John and Mary. Probably the only ones there. Maybe some of the women disciples sure. stuck it out, but the men have gone in hiding, and they're scared the same fate. So let's think about this. Our master got a cross. Our yeah. rabbi, our teacher... It makes sense the followers. They'll be looking for the students tomorrow. Yeah. They're going to get us all. So he got his cross. They'll probably get ours before the week is over. So they went to hide. They certainly did not read victory into this. Yeah. And for... So now we get to the resurrection, really. We're getting to Easter so thinking now. That's the question. How did, they, how did they understand then what the cross really was when it, we see them two days earlier not? It didn't make sense until the resurrection. Okay. So I want you guys to think about the resurrection as is, it's the greatest I told you so in the history of humanity. Well, like, you know, the, talking about the story of the Bible, the, the cross is the, the climactic part of the story, whereas the, uh, the resurrection is kind of the aha moment. Which, which is right? strange because we, have, we spend a whole season talking about Easter, and we talk about the resurrection so, so why is it that we're spending so much time today talking about the cross? What, what, is, it, what is important about the cross versus the resurrection? Or Because the cross that? is the central part of the story. Okay. And you just really said it. It's happened so fast. I don't know if everybody caught that. There's no resurrection without the cross. The resurrection is the aha. The resurrection is, okay, we think he's dead and gone. Uh, listen, I worked on the Jesus campaign for three years making robocalls and putting signs out. And, and for three years, I wanted Jesus to be elected as, to come in and overtake the government as Messiah. And I campaigned, and I got people to give their money. We all gave our money, and we left our businesses, and we campaigned and followed Jesus. Wow, they took him and killed him in the most horrible fashion. 
imaginable on the cross. And all of Jerusalem saw it, and all of Israel knows about it, and all of Rome knows about it, the whole world knows about it. And our, our, the candidate we backed is a dead. For three days they were without hope. Now, you have to understand, they don't have to know about the resurrection. Now, Jesus told them, and it didn't make sense to them. So they're utterly in defeat until Jesus rises from the dead and says, See, I told you so. Only then do they recognize that the cross was the central part of the story. It's what Jesus came to do. Well, you make disciples and down the cross. I mean, it's, it's the central. It, it's like you said, it's climax of the story. The cross is everything. The resurrection a few days later is, well, and just imagine. So let's say Jesus dies on the cross. He gets buried in the tomb. And he goes to heaven without appearing to anyone. How would anybody know there was a resurrection? Christianity would have died right there. So the Bible is very clear to tell you in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul wrote to the church and he said, For I delivered to you that which I first of all received, how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Most important part of the message. That he was buried. That he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Next verse. And that he was seen. And then he starts talking about the 500 eyewitnesses who saw him alive after his passion. The resurrection, which we're about to celebrate at Easter, is the greatest aha moment. You said, I told you so. It's the greatest, oh, so the cross wasn't losing. Right. The cross of Jesus was actually where we all won. That's right. The cross for us was not about defeat, which they thought at first it was. Yeah. But on Easter, they realized the cross was our victory. That's good. And victory is the word Paul uses. Right. We go to First, First Corinthians 15 again. Victory is the word Paul uses like three or four times in a row. Death, where is thy sting? Yeah. Oh, death, where is thy victory? Oh, grave, where is thy sting? Uh, listen, for, for this is the victory, even our faith. They keep using the word victory now, and it's connected to a cross. They would have never connected cross and victory prior to Jesus. Sure. But after Jesus, now we all look back and say, okay, I get it now. For us, cross means we win through Jesus Christ. Resurrection, Easter Sunday, is, see, I told you the cross was our victory. See, I told you I was laying down my life and I took it up again. And I was a revelation. I'm he who is dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. See, I told you so, and now he's back. Exactly. So now we can start to see kind of why the, the cross has become the central symbol, because the cross really is the message. The cross is our message, so the cross is our symbol. That's right. So again, and I was raised in a tradition of real uh, orthodox southern evangelicalism, uh, and I was raised in that tradition that was so anti the symbols of European Christianity that Christians just didn't really, weren't allowed to, sure. just the, the prominent cross, the prominent, it just wasn't a thing. Yeah. Listen, when we took the tour to Israel last year, this just popped into my head, sorry, this, we took the tour to Israel last year, uh, it, uh, Jerusalem has a famous tattoo artist uh, that's fairly well known. And so while we're in Jerusalem, several people in our group said, Pastor, would you give us some free time? I'm like, why? What do, what do you want to do? You want to go to the Wailing Wall? You want to go to the tomb and weep? You want to go to the Garden of Gethsemane and pray? And they're like, no, we want to get a tattoo. There's a famous <laughs> tattoo artist right here that we all know about. And so they all went and got uh, a little, little cross yeah. uh, 
somebody in this room probably has one, but I won't point them out. They, they can volunteer it if they want, but they're, they're in places that it's okay for you to view, you know what I'm saying, and, <laughs> and uh, uh, on their wrists and places, and, and it was kind of a part of the pilgrimage. Yeah. Now, listen, when I was a kid, that was just not a thing you would have done to say, I want to I glory in this. Listen, here's what Paul says. I, I want to know nothing about you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the early Christians, the more we awaken to this, I'm not saying we need to cover the building in religious symbols, but also want to say we overreacted and there's nothing wrong with religious symbols, especially our religious symbol, because the cross is our symbol for a reason. And you said it, you said it really well while we were kind of discussing this this week. We are people of the cross. It's our message. That is our message. We have no message without the cross. And so when we think about people crossing themselves, I think we need to stop... Freaking out. Yeah, and viewing that as such a scary, weird Listen, thing. Listen, and I might even say, oh, wow, cool. What is, I see you've got a cross there. It's kind of a little different. What is that? What? Yeah. Well, listen, I've just opened the door, David. You're letting me get a tattoo? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. On your forehead. On my face forehead, tattoo. right here. Face tattoo. Face yeah. Cross. Yeah. What better conversation starter than a face tattoo? That's right. Exactly. Yeah. But all I'm saying is, yeah. if it opens the door for you to tell me, why, why in the world would you put a cross on your body? Yeah. You know, you'd say, well, because what used to be a symbol that followers of Christ were scared of. Yeah, it's now been reclaimed for victory. It's now been reclaimed. It's our symbol of victory. Now, yep. this just took us 35 minutes to talk that out. So let's go back to the event that we're talking about for Easter. Okay. How, how do I um, adequately tell this story of the cross and of Jesus over a coffee break at work? Yeah, because it's not so straightforward. I mean, it's like, hey, let's get a cup of coffee. Well, and it's not comfortable. Wait, That's did not you know a, you're yeah. a sinner and you're on your way to hell? <laughs> you want cream? <laughs> I mean, heavy, it has yeah, a backstory, yeah. it has so characters, it has a, like you said, a, a arc, a, yeah. a story, a climax, a punchline. Yeah. That's not the easiest thing to tell in 10 minutes, and it's not really the telling of it. I think everybody here can tell it. Sure. How in the world would you open the door? How do you initiate yeah. a conversation? Well, without immediately putting them on the defense, right? Yeah. Because people have been, unfortunately, so put off by, uh, by Christians in general, that if you were to start up a conversation, uh, they immediately get defensive and don't want to have it, right? Yeah, um, you're judging me. And so it's, it's, just, it's just difficult all around. It's, it's yeah. not a natural conversation to just have. And some people are supernaturally gifted with the ability to do this. Oh, I sure. will say that. Oh, I know sure. some people that could have a conversation about Jesus with anyone, and it's incredible. But it, I, would, I would venture to say that's not the average person in here, that it is difficult to have a conversation. Again, not that you don't know the story and couldn't tell it. Right. But how do you transition into what our boss is doing and, you know, what the new neighborhood rules are to, hey, I want to tell you about the cross. Yeah. It's not a natural flow of our conversation. And it's the unease of conversation that is why we want to do this event and why we're bringing it back after having not done it for a while and why we want to really maximize the outreach potential of it. Because, again... If there's ever a moment that people who are unchurched, unsaved, and don't have a relationship with Christ, if there's ever a moment where they are more receptive to hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's during the Easter season. And so we want to maximize that. There, there's there's an open opportunity for us to have a very natural, easy, non-threatening conversation with people. Um, and so we, we want to give that so to you. So you're saying if I that. take my friends through, I have to... Te- I have to 
share the gospel with them. So here's something that I didn't say earlier. The way that this is going to work is at the beginning of, of the event, uh, you're going to have a group of people. It might be you and your wife. It might be you and 10 people. It could be anything. Um, but someone in that group is going to have a binder, and they're going to narrate the story of the cross as you, move as you walk through from station to station. And so the benefit of this is you don't have to worry about having the words to say. You don't have to worry about, am I going to say something wrong, or am I going to mess this up? Am I going to forget something that I should have explained? It'll all be right there. And so you're going to designate a narrator who's able to take them through the story of the cross, and it also doesn't feel threatening because you're not saying, I'm telling you this, it's I'm reading you this. So it feels very non-threatening yeah. to someone. Yeah. And by the, time they've, by the time you've narrated that to a group of people, I mean, gosh, you guys work together. I'm just seeing that whether you are four right here. And if you invite a few more co-workers, you are eight very quickly. And then you give the binder over here to Josh. Josh says, I'll be the narrator for our group. And Josh is just going to read as you go through there. It's very non-threatening. It's very straightforward, very simple. Lots of scripture. Yeah, so let me give a couple other technical details of the event. Um, we, we are open because there are some sensitive and, uh, and heavier items to the uh, the crucifixion and resurrection story obviously and so we it's are about the cross it's about, about the death. cross about the death yeah. so we are yeah. opening up childcare for this event for kindergarten through third grade not that it's required for your children but if you don't think that your children are ready Suggested. for this or if you don't think that they can you know be um, quiet re- is reverent, a big deal. reverent throughout solemn yeah. and reverent if you don't feel like that's them then they're welcome to to use the childcare um, these are again in 5 minute uh, incremented slots. It should take about an hour, hour and a half to, to conclude the whole thing. And uh, if you go to cbc.family slash Easter, it'll direct you to the page to sign up. The first service has already started signing up. I, I've been getting emails. I should have turned off the uh, the alert because I've gotten so many emails yeah. already. Again, um, there's only in over two nights, six hours. There's 54, 54 slots. slots. And so and so, one slot may have 10 people, one slot may have four people. So if, if you want to pile up with other people, you can do that. We want to encourage you to, you know, if you feel like you can bring nine people in addition to you, then sign up for the whole slot and just, let, you let know, decide further. to do this. It might be a thing where <coughs> Susan and I and the boys and Steve and Heather, who Susan's brother in our family, we might want to do this as a family. But we also have several people in our life that are not church people, people that Susan and I care about. We've been trying to reach. We've never been able to get some of these people in our life to a church service. They just, for whatever reason, are not willing to come to a church service. And we're talking about people that are our physicians and our baristas and people we know that we deal with all of our, you know, normal routine of our life. They've not been open to coming to church. They know what we do. They know who we are. I think they would come to this. So, you know, like for us, we might do this with our family, but then we might get a second slot where we're trying to bring in then the, those who don't know Christ or the unchurched. And you might consider doing something like that. You might work together with several families in the church. You know, small groups might work together. But, but the one message I want to send is it's not just for us. We've created this event because this story of the cross is the gospel. It's, it's, it's it, our it, message. It's our message. We're people of the cross. Not we are people of the cross. We yeah. are people of the cross. And this is the message that, that Christ has commanded for all of us to share. So we've created the event in such a way that you can share the message of the cross 
without being preachy, <laughs> without getting someone to a formal service. Uh, 54 slots will go fast. Yeah, so you've got a link at the end of the version. You've got a link in your morning email that you should have gotten this morning if you're signed up for our email blast. Yeah. There's this link that you can go to. It's also on, on the front page of our website. You're going to get a text about it later today. So when you inevitably come up to me and say, I don't know how to sign up for that, <laughs> I'm just going to shake my head at you <laughs> in disappointment. cbc.family slash Easter. Okay. And you'll see the calendar pop up over two nights. Pick your slot. Be, be, and and here's, what we, here's what we're praying. Uh, when you flow out of the stations in the tent, you're going to come through these double doors right here. Our deacons and spouses will probably be waiting right here, gr- greeting people and welcoming people and directing traffic. Uh, the pastors will be here serving you and your group, 10 at a time, or whatever, the Lord's Supper, in a very intimate setting. It's a cool way to do the Lord's Supper if you've never done it before, but we'll be here serving the Lord's Supper. If there are people at the end of this that are not comfortable taking communion with us, we've got an alternate ending for them. If there are people here with little children, elementary age children, let's say, they'll flow in, do communion, and then flow to one more station, which is a children's activity that'll be happening in the back and our children's pastor will be coordinating that so we've got a couple of ways to end the experience but our goal is maybe that you would invite your friends or family or neighbors or whatever and maybe it's like hey let's go to you know five guys and get a burger let's go down to do the easter experience or let's do the easter experience let's go get a burger together or something let's go to cheddar's because we're hoping conversations now it becomes natural well because it's a response to something now as opposed to just a, an awkwardly yeah, initiated yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, they've heard the story of the cross. Yeah. And what our prayer is that we've put, Tommy, to, to go to your tactics class for a minute, we've put the gospel pebble in their shoe. Now we're going to let our friends and neighbors walk around on that a little bit. Let them think about that for a little bit. And now any conversation they initiate potentially has an open door for us then to lead our friends to faith in Jesus Christ. Big, big win because we are people of the cross. It is our symbol, but it's more than symbolism. That's right. It's our message. I think we were scared because we were scared of symbolism over substance. But we're a substantive people. It can be our symbol and be our message both. And that's our message. Now, one more thing and let's close. Uh, Because this is a big deal. And this is like a Christmas season. It's an Easter season that people are open. We really want to bathe this in a lot of prayer. So tell us about what's happening as prayer tools leading up to Easter right now. So in between the first and second service and before the first service, about 10 to 15 minutes before each service, there will be over here at one of the little altar areas where you can kind of kneel. Um, we'll have a couple of deacons or one or however many yeah, deacons Damon, I'll be over here. Damon and Johnny, Johnny are, are leading that effort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and we're just going to pray specifically over the people uh, that you're thinking about inviting or the people that you know other people will invite. We're just going to yeah. pray over the event as well as the people that we're wanting to see come here that they'll be receptive to hear the message. Every Sunday. Yes, for the next. A few minutes before the service sure. from here till Easter. That's right. You meet with one of our, our, our deacons, one of our church leaders, and just have five or ten minutes of prayer before the service begins, just come a little early, and let's begin to bathe the event. Listen, uh, that God would really work in the hearts of the people we want to invite, that they would be open and receptive, and maybe even that we would be, our eyes would be open 
to who, who in our life needs this, and I need to be aware of that so I know to invite them and, and get a commitment from them and, you know, make it happen. Well, and this hitches us back to the reality that, that we don't save people, God saves people. Our, our, our opportunity is to be obedient, and, and what he gets to do then is actually save people out yeah. of whatever background yeah. they're from into faith in him. And so we need to be praying so, I mean, so heavily for the next, what is it, six, seven weeks, I think, yeah. or something like that, until Easter. Yeah. Because, again, we're, we're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against just what imagine, we just talked about. If you invited someone to be a part of this and got them here, it would be fair to say you, you, you shared the gospel. You yeah. presented the story of the cross by getting them here. Right. You fulfilled what Christ is asking you to do. Yeah. And it was done in a very non-threatening way. Yeah. And that's our goal really our goal for this event let's end this service in this way let's uh, let's just end with a couple of minutes of prayer how about that our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and i would imagine just as we're talking about uh people in our lives that while we're talking about the event your 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 mind probably was spinning through people a little mental rolodex there you were like okay i've got a neighbor i would like to invite i've got a coworker i'd like to invite i can think about this you know person i encounter at sonic every week or or dunkin donuts or at my school or a coworker you're just thinking people now and their faces and their names are right there in your heart and in your mind i want you to begin to pray for them even right now and pray like this say god You're laying some people on my heart right now, and I'm listening. And just call those people by name and say, God, I'm praying for, you know, John and Sally and this person. And, you know, I'm praying for them, Lord, that you would tender their heart, that they would be receptive to a Good Friday event where I could tell them the story of the cross. Because God, I know you want me to share the gospel. I know you want me to be a speaker of the cross. But Lord, it's so difficult to get people to listen. And sometimes so awkward for me to bring you and your death on the cross up in the middle of a maybe a happy conversation or a work conversation. So God, I pray that you would you'd help me to be successful in this endeavor we're trying to do. As a church, let's just pray over the event right now and say, God, this Friday and Saturday and Sunday, Good Friday all the way through Easter Sunday morning, God, would you just have your hand upon this church and upon our relationships? And God, would you ordain that people would be saved and they would hear the message and they would receive the message into their heart? And Lord, by participating in this, we could honor you. We can be obedient to your will for our life. Father, just praying now for our church family and our friends that are worshiping here with us this morning. God, you want us to share the gospel, the good news, the story of your death, burial, and resurrection, and the way you've opened the possibility for us to have a relationship with God. Story you want us to tell, and God, we want to tell it. It's, a, it's the greatest story. God, we want to tell it. But how to tell it has been our real struggle. And God, I pray that you would just encourage this wonderful body, that it's a story.
they can tell. And Lord, help us to be successful in the telling of your story. Lord, may you draw all men. You said, if I be lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. God, we're going to lift you up and we're going to magnify you. And I pray you would indeed draw this community into a relationship with God through your cross. Father, over the next few days, as we contemplate the meaning of the cross, the message of the cross, why your cross matters so much to us and to Christians for thousands of years, God, inspire us to be those people of the cross, people of the gospel. Lord, again, thank you for what you did for us. Father, thank you for loving us and sending your son for us. Lord, bless our week. For those who have off tomorrow, Lord, let it be a refreshing day for them. Let them get some rest, maybe get a few errands done, and just be refreshed. Lord, for those who have to work tomorrow, Lord, let the burden be light. Lord, bless us this week. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. God's people say it. All right, I'll see you next Sunday morning. We start study of the book of John. If you need to go to Israel with us, 5 o'clock tonight. God bless you. We'll see you next Sunday morning, okay?